0: Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my determination to ensure that nobody ever goes through what I've been through. That is hitting their nine to five and living only for the weekends. Having fled Iran at the age of 30 to England following a disastrous marriage in a country that is notorious for making it rather difficult for women to obtain a divorce, my next guest is an award-winning food writer and photographer with a loyal following of over 30,000 loyal fans, inspired by Iranian cuisine. Atusa Sapir is unlike any woman I've ever met before. Enduring a terrible and harmful marriage is one thing. Being in a country that makes it incredibly difficult to escape is another. Atusa fled her home in the night in secret without knowing whether she would even be able to get a plane ticket. Knowing only a handful of people on her arrival in the UK, Atusa has developed a way of coping with the hardships associated with being away from, from her family and loved ones and took it on herself to start cooking the very food that she grew up with. The delightful smells and aromas soon got the attention of the people living in her building. And the rest is, quite frankly, history. An Irish Times best food book of the year, a loyal following and worldwide fame for her passion, knowledge and dedication to exposing the beauty of Iranian culture and cuisine pales in comparison to her biggest achievement to date which is a clear alignment of her passion with her career and a rediscovering of her own identity, cultivated over decades of pain, struggle and hardship. I present to you Etusa Sapir.
1: It was a trip of six hours from my city to the airport that happened during the night. So I got to the airport, not knowing even if there is a ticket to go. I realized, oh my God, I can't do it. I'm not happy. I know I have invested a lot of time in it, but I can't. And I just quit everything, quit everything. And I sat at home and I said, I'm gonna write a book. You know, I didn't wanna regret it. And I thought, I'm gonna give it a go. It's not gonna kill me. I can always go back to whatever I was doing. But I'm gonna give it a go.
0: Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for your kind words, really.
0: No, no, it's absolutely my pleasure. Madusa, um, I wanna I wanna kick things off firstly um, with kind of um, arriving here in the UK um, at a very young age and just talk us through that experience of fleeing a country. Um, arriving here and the first couple of days of what was going through your mind?
1: Because it, everything happened so quickly. I, when I came here, to be honest with you, I was kind of shocked and at the same time really sad knowing that I can't go back home and not be able to be with my friends, having my family around me and and also the life I built in Iran, the life I built, I was, it took me a long time to build that life, which finally I felt like I, I really loved my job. I know that other parts of there were parts that I made me leave the country, but they were parts that I really loved. So in the beginning I was really numb. I didn't know really what's happening. I, I it was it was mainly numbness.
0: Wow. And um, I mean, for for those that are not aware, um, where were you fleeing from and all the kind of circumstances that led you to then obviously flee and 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 arrive here in the UK?
1: Unfortunately, I end up in a really bad marriage. And as a woman, you really don't have the permission to get divorced unless the husband give you the permission. So. I knew if I don't get divorced, if I don't find a way really to get out of this marriage, God knows when I would have had the right really to legally leave that marriage. And I knew my husband would not give me that right. So I had to find a way. And finally, I I was, I was had my own company and I was working um, with companies in Europe. So One way for me was seeing if I can transfer my job uh, to this part of the world, that luckily I managed to do it. Um, But I did all of it without anybody knowing. So I applied and I I didn't even explain what's happening. It was just me applying to see if I can do it. And I'm so glad and grateful that it did happen. So while I was having so much problem at home, I was getting... Uh, my visa sorted just in case that if things goes really sour and sadly that's what happened things got really out of control and I had to leave because I was threatened that if I don't come back home I'm going to be banned from leaving the country the day after. And so I just it was a trip of six hours from my city to the airport that happened during the night, so I got to the airport, not knowing even if there is a ticket to go wow uh, be able to even fly so I was really lucky I think sometimes when the intention is right, everything just works for you and that was one part of the the my journey that I always when I look back I see there was a lot of luck involved as well if if there was no ticket that morning. I would have stayed. And I know the day, the morning after I was banned from leaving the country. I I know that for fact. So I would have been stuck in the country. Wow. So wow. That's how I, out.
0: I mean, it's it's I don't want to stereotype and generalize, but um, I think it's fair to say that um, the culture that you were, I suppose, operating in um you know, to have strong, independent women who are out there building a career, um, you know, being fully independent, um, rising up um, in the in the kind of corporate space um, must be quite tough. Um, From your perspective, like how, what would you attribute um, to that desire to want to be independent, to be your own self, to um, like what was it from your childhood or growing up that made you think that it's OK to be independent, to be strong, to build a career for yourself? And, you know, rather than, you know, um, just be what may, I'm sure many other women find themselves stuck in. Um, have you got an idea as to what what that might be in terms of what what made you become this 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 strong, independent woman as you are now?
1: Um, I think things are changing a lot between um, woman uh, mentality and society. I think at the time I was growing up, I had um, this in my mind that I don't want to be a woman. I don't want to do the things that a, a woman as a known woman would do, being in the kitchen, looking after the kid and do the routine chore, housework, job, really. So that was one thing I knew for a fact I don't want to do. Um, and I noticed that there was a lot of this mentality in between my classmates. I think we were the new generation that we were going against the previous generation because most of our um, mothers were house. Wives. Not that they didn't like it. For example, my mom, she never wanted to work. That was what she loved to do. And most of the women, when you could see, when I was talking to or I, the mothers, they were the same. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to work. But I think there was some changes. And I'm sure it's the same in most of the Muslim countries and not even not even in non-Muslim countries. Even here, I can see a lot has changed between... The rights of the women and what they want, the changes that has happened. I at the time that when I finished my university, the field that I went, it was so men driven. It was steel, iron, uh, import-export, and I did it purposely because I wanted to be different, and I I didn't. I I wanted to be counted as not just a woman, that I can do it as well. At the time when I did it, there weren't so many women doing this job. I remember when I was picking up the phone and talking to all these um, big businessmen dealing with iron and steel, They were the first thing they were saying like, but you are a woman. Wow. And I was like, so what? I am a woman, but so what? Yes. And, but to be fair, they were really open about it, and they never, never, ever felt like they—they're not—they're treating me differently. Yeah, and that's one yeah. thing about my country. If you go now to Iran and look at the st- st- statistics, most of the students at university are women, and a lot of jobs are being taken with women, not men. So I think that's something that happened with the new with our new generation mm, and, mm. and that, that was really I, although i have friends that they went through the same way as they our previous generation but i think that was more kind of a choice not they had to do it
0: mm, mm. i mean just just on that point about about iran i mean you know, we were talking earlier about, um, I remember this a couple of weeks ago when, you know, my experience of going to Iran. And I think I think for me, you know, being in the UK, being brought up in the UK, being born in the UK, um, you you get the impression that there are certain kind of preconceptions or, you know, myths about about the country, um, you know, coming from that country and and now looking back and knowing British society and, and and how we think. W- what would you say, Atusa? Kind of the 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 biggest kind of um, things that you wish people knew about Iran that you that you obviously know that are often kind of preconceptions or um, not myths, but just levels of misunderstanding about the country that you think people should really know. Coming from someone that's actually you know lived there and been there and obviously now now lives here.
1: I think um, the main thing is this: if you have never been to Iran, what you think of Iran is not correct. You have to come to Iran, then you will see whatever thought or view you had or whatever you had about Iran, it was 100% incorrect. So, and that has happened with many of my friends. I, I went back to Iran many times with my friends, that they were from Italy, France, Ireland, and they were all shocked. They were, when they wanted to go to Iran, I remember the family saying like, Oh, are you sure you want to go? It's dangerous. Maybe you shouldn't go. But when they came, they just realized it's a completely different environment, different country. People are so friendly, unbelievably friendly. Every time we were going out, people were inviting them without knowing them. Come to our home. Sometimes it was getting too much because we wanted to go from point A to point B we were talking to like 20 people because they were wanted to be just so kind and they were offering food offering ride everything so what you know about iran sadly is not correct unless you've been to iran you would see it's a different country and and one thing that it really drives me mad is you have never heard iran being involved in any terrorist attacks but we they count us as a terrorist, and that's something mm. that always really upsets me. But
0: yeah.
1: hopefully, one day you will come to my country and you will see his completely.
0: Absolutely, scary. absolutely. Or, I want I want people listening to understand. Um, you because know, I've I, I was I was reading into your story, and I think there was an article in the um, in the Guardian about. You know that really kind of tough time and um, of, of fleeing and stuff. I I just want people to kind of understand and and be able to kind of somewhat picture just how um, bad things were. Um, and your, I mean, I think I think I read that you packed in one hour or something and just you know just overnight you just had to go. And um, just just talk us through um, those those. A couple of days or those moments that really kind of stick out that really kind of show um that that sort of journey of of um being where you were and then and then and then and and, and then leaving because i guess that must have been a very a very tough tough period right
1: we used to I used to live in Tehran, which is the capital, and that 's where i was I used to work and uh, my parents were in Esfahan, which is seven hours drive, six hours drive i when I noticed that everything is just so out of control and I knew that I have my visa I knew that I have a way to escape if things get sour. At, because before that, my parents didn't know I have a problem at home. I tried to keep everything so secret. And I didn't want them to get worried what's happening. And also, I, good or bad, I have an attitude in life that I try to um, try everything to the last bit, do my best. And if it doesn't work, just. At least I know I've done my best and I I couldn't have done anything. And with my marriage was the same, but it got to the point that I realized it's not even safe to stay there. So I had to leave. But I knew I can't leave the house. I I can't ask him to leave because it was a flat that i it was actually my flat that he was in. But I, I couldn't ask him to leave. He wouldn't have left. So I called my parents and I asked them to come for the first time and explaining the situation. So when he left, um, after two days, I went back home with my parents, hoping that I'm going to stay a week in Esfahan and see what I can do. And in between, one thing that was really sad, really sad, was my grandma called and she said to me, exactly before getting to Esfahan, um, coming to Esfahan my grandma called and but I didn't say to her I'm coming to Esfahan because I didn't want anybody to know what's
0: happening mm-hmm. and she
1: said to me oh I heard you coming are you coming to see me I said no um, I'm, but I'm coming back again because I knew I'm gonna be for a week there so I said I, I will come uh, grandma and out of blue she it was the first time she stopped crying like you don't understand you're not in my age one day you will realize what i meant Um you should have come and see me you should come and see me i said i am i am i thought i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go in the next three four days but i didn't want her to know that i'm coming because i didn't know what's happening really. mm. my life was mm-hmm. so all over the place and um I got back, we got back home. I sat, I, I'll tell you the story of my grandma after this one. Um, when we got, we got back from it as in Tehran towards home. And when I got home, it was, I think it was two hours. We, we just arrived to Esfahan. I went out to the park to, with my, one of my brother's friend and with my brother. And we are in in the park and my ex calls and says, Atusa, the same story. I'm not boring you. I'm not going to bore you with that. Sorry, blah, blah, blah. Please come back. I said, no, I'm not going to come back. Just let's get divorced and let's stay friends. We can still be friends, but we won't be able to live together. And only thing he said to me, said, okay, you're not coming back home. Tomorrow you're going to be banned from leaving the country. And I knew this is not a bluff because he was working actually, he was all the database of passport system he designed it oh so my god had,
0: wow
1: he, he was a genius to be fair, but sometimes you, you a person can 't have everything together so he um I knew for him it was just a matter of a tick, just putting in a system a tick in front of my name, and that 's it i'm banned from leaving the country because a husband has the right to do that can ban the wife from leaving the country is
0: that is that still the case now
1: yes it is when you're married to a man unless when you get married you sign a document that he he can't have the right which at the time when i was getting married and in my generation it wasn't a common thing nobody Mm. was doing it it was if you don't trust this person, why you're even getting married to this person? So, but I can see it with the new generation. Most of women do it because they don't know what's going to happen next. Mm, mm. You sign a contract that I have the right myself. So you have, you don't have the right to get a passport unless he signs it for you. you. You don't have the right to leave the country. If he doesn't want you. And even in, severe cases he can even go to your work and talk to your boss and says i'm wow. not happy my wife working and that's one thing that then it's going to be hard for the woman to work
0: wow my god these
1: are the problems but having said that it's not as dark as i am talking it, i'm explaining it it has to get to a really bad situation that the man the sad thing is that the man has the power, can use it whenever he wants. You know, it's 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 something that he shouldn't have had it in the first place. Mm. He should be equal. Men and women should be equal. If this is the right he has. it. He might never use it. Mm. And, and it has mm. not been used in many, many cases in my country. But there are men that use it because they have the right. So I knew I'm going to. Have, I have to leave. So I called my mom and I said to my mom, This is the case. And my mom said, Come back home. You have to go back. So it meant we just got back home and now we have to go back again to Tehran because the airport is in Tehran. And it was late at night time. We didn't even have, at the time, there was no ATM that you could go and get some cash. We didn't have that much money in the house. So I called. Some of the friends. my dad called some friends. We got all the money, and because it was the last minute ticket, it would have been really expensive. And we drove all the way back. I remember my mom passing all the tra- all the cameras, my God, cameras, just to get back to the to Tehran. And we got to Tehran, not knowing if there is a ticket, if not, and thankfully there was, and I got. To the I got um, to the plane. Got to England the day after. My parents uh, received a thing that uh, Otusa a phone call. He called and said that Oh, Atusa, has been. He didn't know that I have left. Oh. He, he's been banned. And then after banning me, he checked the system and saw I have left. And he oh. went absolutely bonkers. But the sad thing was that my grandma passed away oh my two days after the phone call she had with me
0: oh my god
1: and I realized I think she felt that she's leaving and she wanted to see me for the first for the last time Mm. so when I came back when I came to when I came to London It was everything. It was leaving the country one side, knowing that I'm not going to see my grandma and the guilt that I didn't see her. So it was everything together. It wasn't just one thing. So that's why I said I was completely numb.
0: Yeah, my God. I mean, just um, in terms of um, in terms of them sort of arriving um, in the UK, um, I know that. you weren't particularly happy with um with the work that you were doing Uh, just just talk us through kind of um that point in time when you weren't really enjoying what you were doing and how that then manifested in this um amazing kind of uh uh journey you're on right now um in the um in the food and cuisine and obviously the, the, uh, the, the book that's, that that's come out now, just talk us through that kind of journey of, you know, uh, being, being an employee, I guess, um, to now doing what you're doing right now.
1: Sure. Um, when I left my country, one thing that I really loved was my job. It was something that I built it myself and it was my only thing that, It kept me going. When I came here, I went back again to zero. I had to start everything from exactly, even below zero.
0: Did you know anyone when you arrived in the UK?
1: Yes, I knew. I knew some of my colleagues. Yes, yes. But it wasn't what I was doing back home. I was again an employee. I was again back to zero and trying to find my way. And it was a job that I wasn't really enjoying, but I had to stay on it because my visa was dependent on it. So I had to be doing that job. And so in a way I was kind of uh, deflated when I was coming home, not knowing what to do and missing home. Nothing, nothing was right at that point. And one thing that I realized is taking me back home and it gives me um, a little bit of hope and focus is food and just the smell of the food that was so familiar to me. And the thing was that when I was back home, I wasn't really cooking much. I was just recreating some recipes. I didn't really care about cooking, but I always loved cooking, but I never wanted to cook Properly, because again, I didn't want to be the woman in the kitchen in Iran.
0: You know that's that's really interesting because uh, I find it amazing that um, in, uh, in 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 many ways you you tried everything you possibly could to not be seen as you know the typical kind of you know housewife who just stays at home all day, um, but. In the process of doing that, you didn't dabble in to this thing that you absolutely love and got a massive passion for. Um, But from what I'm hearing you're saying is like once you kind of got past that, you then started to dabble in that in that space. Right.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that was my comfort zone. I, I loved it. And I wasn't looking at it that way anymore because I was doing it for myself. I wasn't Mm. doing it as a job, as a duty, really. You know, I was Mm. doing it because I wanted to do it. So I was cooking a lot. I was calling my mom a lot, getting recipes, calling my grandma, my mom's mom and my aunt. And I was recreating these recipes and I was cooking a lot and I noticed um, the neighbors start asking me, Tusa, so, what are you doing?" Because we live in a small block of flat. Every time we come to the hallway, there is a smell, and Persian food is the smell is quite strong, and it's it's you you smell it from far away, and. Uh, and I felt really bad, so I thought most of the time when I was cooking, I was taking some food to the neighbors as well. Would you like to try? In the beginning, they thought, "Oh my God, who is this silly yeah. <laughs> Bring us food?" But then they got used to it, and they were they really enjoyed it. And then talking to having that was the first um, step for me to realize people really love. Iranian food, Persian food, and they don't really know much about it. As time went on and I had some friends and I got to know some more people and they were coming to my home and I was cooking for them, they were all amazed how delicious Persian food is and how come they don't know about it. Because at the time, especially I'm talking about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Not much, you couldn't find many Iranian restaurants around. It wasn't that popular. And nobody was talking about Iran apart from terrorist things. Mm. Mm.
0: uh,
1: I end up with a notebook full of recipes of my mom and my aunt and everybody. And when I finished my five year, when I got my British passport, so I didn't have to work as I had, you know, it wasn't an obligation mm, to have mm. to follow a certain way. Despite knowing that it's not going to be an easy way to quit everything, I just quit everything.
0: Really? Quit my job.
1: I quit everything i i while i was studying i while i was working i started studying acca as well again me trying to you know it's a habit it's so hard to your old habit die really hard and that was me again being me and trying to find a way but in not in a maybe right direction so while I was working do- during that five years I started getting my ACCA qualification as well. So you
0: were so you're working studying and also doing the cooking on the side as well my god okay. okay. Yes.
1: and uh, when I finished my five years I start doing um, some accountancy job. And I realized, oh, my God, I can't do it. I'm not happy. I know I have invested a lot of time in it, but I can't. And I just quit everything. Quit everything. And I sat at home and I said, I'm going to write a book, something that I really love and enjoy.
0: Were you and worried? Was- like, were, you, were you scared about, you know, what, what the future might hold by, yeah. by just quitting everything?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because, of course, I was uh, I was really scared. But the, it gets to the point. I, I suppose I could have done it part time, my job. But I realize either I do it properly or I don't do it because I realize I have to spend a lot of time taking pictures. I learned how to take the pictures, so I did the pictures myself in the book. So it was it wasn't just um, having a notebook of uh, recipes and doing and just writing the recipes. It was the whole process of writing the book, even the design I learned how to design it. So the whole book, when you see it, I I did everything in it from design, from pictures, recipes, everything. So I thought I'm going to do something completely different, something that I love and I enjoy. And Let's see what's going to happen once in a while. Once in my life, I'm just going to jump. I'm not going to think what's going to happen. And that book actually made me realize how much I love cooking and how much I am enjoying it up to the point that I started again studying. But this time I'm studying nutrition, which is food and knowing the science behind it. Because um, when you start cooking and when you are in Iran, people uh, care about food a lot. When they put the food in front of you, they say, oh, this is good for this. You eat this one, it's good for that. Mm -hmm. And I used to say it, oh, this is good for this. And I could hear some people say, "Mm, who said that? (laughs) And I was like, actually, that's a really fair question. Who said that? Yeah, Yeah. It,
0: you
1: know? And I thought I need to know the science behind it. And so when I suggest something it really means something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a correct and science-based uh, suggestion, not just uh, somebody said it or a doctor said it or I read it somewhere. And it's just amazing what food can do and the more I learn the more I realize what a right decision I did. I know it was really hard. There were days that I really questioned all my action. I was like, why did I do that? Because in the beginning, when I, did the, when I quit with all my jobs, I remember some people coming to me and say, Atusa, why are you doing this? Just do the book as a hobby next to what mm. you're doing. Mm. You worked so hard to get here. Why are you going to leave everything? and when you're down when you are having hard days and low days you remember those sentences and you mm. start questioning yourself doubting yourself i had those days not that were
0: you were you ever close to um were you ever close to uh listening to those doubts and going back to 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 what to what you were doing
1: yes yes and the sign was that I kept all my documents in a cupboard. And I remember my partner sometimes was saying, but just get rid of them. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> in the back of my head, I I was 100% sure I was keeping them as a safety net. But... Um, I got rid of them when I had the book published.
0: Oh my god! So what? What? What stopped you? Like what? What is it that, um, you know, uh, stopped you from listening to those people and listening to your inner voice and made you say, "No, you know what? I'm I'm gonna keep keep pushing through." Like, what is it that kind of just kept you kept you going?
1: I. I I remember those days that I was working and I said to myself, Are you, were you happier, Tusa? Are you going to spend the rest of your life like that? What are you going to achieve? I, I believe, I know it's a cliche, but life is so short, it's really short. Mm-hmm. And you can just waste it or you can just do the same thing and a routine and carry on. And after, when you're 70, 60, 80, you look back and say, are you happy with what you've done or are you regretting it? And I didn't want to, and that one thing that kept, kept me going was imagining myself at the age of 80, if I get to 80, <laughs> but looking back and thinking, saying to myself, are you happy with what you've done or are you regretting not to make this decision? You know, I didn't want to regret it. And I thought, I'm going to give it a go. It's not going to kill me. I can always go back to whatever I was doing, but I'm going to give it a go. And if it doesn't work, I haven't lost much because I wasn't happy anyway. Mm. Mm. So I I couldn't see why not.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, there's a really good, um, it's a really good book that i remember I haven't read it but I've heard about it where um the author interviews people that are um on their deathbed and it's a very you know it's a very kind of depressing book in many ways but you know he he surveys i think it's a hero karma but they 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 survey and they speak to all these people that are you know very close to passing away and when they ask them you know um when you look back on your life you know what what goes through your mind and overwhelmingly, they say, they they don't talk about money or fame or, you know, what, what they regret is what they didn't do, right? And that always goes through my mind in the sense that I'm the same. I don't want to get to that point in my life where I look back and I think, what if, you know? Yeah. And I guess that obviously drives you as well.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because I saw... Um, my grandma I can see some of relatives that are old and I can see the regrets I Mm. am trying to prevent it as much as I can I am sure I'm gonna have regrets but as much as I can I would love to and if I know a decision we need to take risk we just can't carry on doing the same thing. If you don't take a risk, then you're gonna regret it.
0: Mm, mm. Without
1: taking a risk. If if I had not taken a risk and leave the country, yes, because it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision. It meant I had to leave everything behind. That was a big decision. If I had not done that got knows what would have happened and I would have never been in a position that I am now and I'm happy and I went through hell I'm not saying that it was an easy decision for the first four or five years I I don't think I can do it again to be honest with you it was that hard for me but Mm. um you have to go through some hurdle and problems and you know it, and nothing in life is earned easily nothing is uh, gained easily you have to go through that pain until you get it and when you get it you appreciate it even more
0: it's yeah it, it's so true i mean it, i i um i was having this chat with my wife the other day about lottery winners and um, there was a statistic about the overwhelming number of lottery winners who end up blowing the money like very 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 quickly after that and they end up they end up like broke or like bankrupt very quickly after because the journey of getting that money is so much more important than the actual end end result and I was just thinking thought like do you ever wonder what would have happened or where you might be if you hadn't had this really horrible relationship if you hadn't fled? Iran if you hadn't arrived here in the UK and hadn't gone through you know the pain and the struggle um do you ever like wonder what 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 might have been
1: I mean do you mean if I was in a happy relationship in Iran
0: yeah yeah
1: if I was in a happy relationship in Iran, there are so many people in Iran that are in a good relationship and they're having a good life they work they they life in Iran is exactly the same as here if you take certain things if I see my friends they are in a good relationship they they enjoy their life they have they trips to Europe to America to everywhere but if um I can't be so black and I can't I have my problems with how some of some certain things are in Iran but to be fair it's not all as dark and black and miserable and as they show it in here if you are with the right man and you are financially in a good position you can have a good life there is no doubt but at the moment unfortunately there are other problems in Iran the, the inflation is just unbelievable. I don't know how people are surviving. For example, 15, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, my salary of a month when I came back, my when I started working in a company, um, was my first job. My salary, which was enough for a month, and it was a salary that... And, and normal um, casual you know it it was a normal salary for mm, someone mm. it wasn't a top one because i had just finished university which but it was a good salary it is in it, it was the same as a cost of a sandwich now in iran
0: my god
1: it the inflation is just unbelievable the people are wow. really suffering which is not fair there are problems but
0: i just want people to just 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 to understand that so yours your your one month salary 15 17 years ago is now the price of a sandwich now in iran that is crazy my yeah. god wow <laughs> it's unbelievable unbelievable i mean because i think i think you know, I often wonder, like when I look back at hardship and pain in, in, in my own life, I, I I do often think that, at least for me, um, if it wasn't for that pain and that struggle, then um, I wouldn't necessarily be where I am today. And I think that, I think it's important for people to understand and, and, and learn from your journey that, you know, despite... That it was actually the 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 result of going through all that pain, that you've almost discovered yourself and discovered who you are. Um and I think I think what's really interesting about your journey is that it wasn't like you woke up one day and thought, I'm gonna go into cooking. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a cookbook. It was actually the result of many different turns and twists and turns in your life that then led you to where you are right now. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's like a um it's not the right uh, comparison but when someone has a cancer um it's never a minute job like oh i woke up and i'm having cancer it's a lifestyle of it's a lifetime of um doing certain things that Mm. cause this problem Mm. so it it started 10 15 now it's been proven and a cancer starts 10 15 years before Mm. you know you have a cancer and this is the same nothing happens suddenly i don't believe this word that they say oh it just happened nothing in life it just happens there's always Mm. something behind it and the things that lead you to that and for me Um, as I said it was a hard journey but I'm really grateful that I did it and if I go back I would do it again.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely I mean and just uh, you you mentioned there about you know taking taking your first set of photos for, for the book and you know one of the things that I find truly beautiful is not just the fact that you make all these amazing recipes and that the food just looks delicious. I mean, every, every time I go on Instagram, I, I, I get hungry. Um, but there's there's a, a fantastic, loving community around around you and around what you're trying to do. And you know, there, there's people saying, "Yeah, I tried this the other day, and you know, I, I did this differently." And they're you know, they're they're, they're really really on board and. What's really beautiful is that that's the result of the amount of work and passion that you put into your social media. Um, I want to ask, um, how did that come about? What did you do? How were the early days of um, getting getting your name out?
1: Oh god, that was the same. It was in the beginning. It was really hard and boring. It was. <laughs> like, it was like I was talking to myself. It was like in, banging to the wall every day. Sharing a picture. I was in the room taking a picture for hours, organizing it and preparing it, making the food, making it beautiful, taking the picture, sharing it. Two people liking it, three people. And I was like, "Oh my god, it's so boring. Why am I even doing this? After five, six hours of killing myself, nobody even cared, and 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 I didn't even have that many followers. And it took me years. It it wasn't. Like this, like oh, some people get lucky, and but I, for me, it wasn't like that. It took me good some years, and I, there were points that, like, oh, I'm just gonna give up because what's the point of doing it? But I think when you're persistent and you do it, and you just don't give up, it would be a point that's a breaking point. Ever I think if you do your best and you try you some on your ways at one point you get a breaking point and that would be your time so for for instagram it was the same
0: what what underpins uh what, what 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 kind of philosophy or set of values do you try to always kind of keep in mind or or underpin um the kind of content that you put out on 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 social media
1: uh, you mean, what is the base of my Facebook uh, content?
0: Yeah, and uh, like in terms of like you know what, um, like what kind of things do you typically try to keep in mind or bear in mind when you are you know posting a photo or or doing anything on social media? What is it like you kind of you always try to kind of follow?
1: I'm trying to just um, share some recipes that I would think people would like it. And enjoy it I try not to be peachy, preachy because I can see on Instagram people come and they preach do this do that do this um, I know that there are certain things that I would love to share with my followers health wise but I don't want to push it and I don't want to come across somebody who knows everything because that's not the truth and it's and that's not my intention so I'm trying to be really settled in giving the information to the channel but at the same time i really care one of the reasons that i am doing what i'm doing studying nutrition is um sharing my knowledge because i noticed i didn't know all of the most of the things that i'm learning at the moment and i am amazed what you can do with food one of the um i'm just going to give you a simple example When COVID happened, my parents came and stayed with us. So, um, and I I was in the stage of um, having, making more salads. And it was the stage that I really thought it would work really good for my mom and dad. So every day for lunch, they had salad with something next to it. Up to the point that my dad didn't want to come to lunch. I was like, oh my god, am I gonna have gross again? <laughs> 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 I was saying to my mom, what are we having for lunch? Gross again? Oh, oh my, my god, god. I feel like a sheep. So but then he just um forgot about it because he he got used to it. Yeah. But I remember when he came, he had a digestion problem, really bad. And I made him soup a couple of times. He, he really struggled. Uh, he couldn't have any drink because then he was having a problem. After four months, I noticed my dad is eating everything with us. No problem, no complaint, no digestion problem. And I saw my dad drinking and said, but you can't have that drink, dad. You have problem." said, Atusa, you can't believe it. Everything is gone. I do not have any problem. My digestion problem. I cannot believe it. My dad is 74. He said, I've never felt like this in my life. Wow. And that was the point that he thought he never called that salad gross again.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) But, But, you know, I mean, what what is it about food, Atusa? Because there is something about food that, Kind of transcends you know politics and religion and and you know nationalities, right? I mean, what is it that you think that um, allows food to be such a such an amazing way of bringing people together?
1: I think food is so simple. it's just um, it talks for itself. You don't need language around it. You can be talking, you can be a group of hundred people with different kind of languages, but you don't even have if you don't even need to communicate as soon with, with food, you don't need that language because the food is like the language. Everybody knows the language of the food. The food when it's beautiful and delicious, it's there, you know. It's like I think one of the things is music is the same. You don't need language. You don't need anything. It's just, it's one of the best things that when you have a table with nice food and people around you, it's just, it it, it talks for itself. It just does its own thing. It's, It's the same with music. It's an international thing around all the world. Wherever you go, you might have problem with talking to people but when they bring you the food the it just the connection happens without knowing that person when they offer you a nice dish i remember when i was in iran and i was with my friend people couldn't talk to my friend because they couldn't speak english but what they were doing for example they were eating they were they were having picnic and they were offering their food to my friend and my friend without even knowing the language anything was communicating
0: mm. with
1: signs and you know body language they that was the communication so it has a it has its own magic way food and also mm. it takes you back to the moments you have a food I, there is a dish always takes me back to my grandma whenever i cook it is my grandma here and
0: and that that for me is what makes this whole story so beautiful is that you know your what you do and the book that you've written and you know even even your social media there's a such a close connection to your own personal story in the sense that you know when you cook food it brings back all the amazing memories that you had when you were back in Iran and I suppose for me, like when I think about it, your desire to go into cooking was more to do with a desire to want to feel that connection again. Um and I suppose for me, like when I think about businesses and entrepreneurship, you know, one thing that always kind of comes to my mind is, you know, build something that you have personally got some kind of connection to that you feel like is is. You know, because that's what's going to keep you going in the lows and the highs, you know, because when it's just like about money or about trying to, you know, sell as much as possible of something, there's going to be really, really tough moments in that journey where you're not going to see any money, you're not going to see any success, but you've got to have a very, very big um, understanding as to why it's important to you. And I guess, you know, when I when I was reading about your story and, and talking to you now, I can just see such a personal connection to why you do what you do. You know,
1: the money brings your happiness up to a certain points in the beginning. Yes, you get a buzz out of it. You're happy. But in long run, it gets a kind of routine thing. And if the job or what you're doing doesn't make you happy, that money doesn't mean anything to you anymore.
0: Mm. I, mm.
1: I used to make more money, but now I'm happier. So which one do I want? Do I want more money or do I want to be feeling content and happy? Because you can't put price on that contentment. It brings you everything. It just gives you everything. It's just, it's different. Mm. But mm. with money, after a while, everything gets um, routine. How much money do you need in your life if you're not happy?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. i think um the the uh there's there's one final bit to the uh to the interview and that's uh we, we always ask um guests to answer a question from the previous guest and also ask the question to our next guest so our last guest uh was someone who was working um incredibly well known in the uh, fitness and wellness space and he wanted to ask you what would your what would you thank your younger self for and linked to that uh what would your future self thank you for
1: uh my younger i think the thing that i was always um, i was really good at taking risks at really a young age <laughs> i was crazy. I was jumping all the time up and down. My parents were so scared to leave me one minute because I would have done something. I would have broken something or I would have done something I wasn't supposed to do.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So I would, I thank that because it gave me, it gave me that um, um, encouragement and that um, um, not feeling scared. I can, I can still jump. I can still try to, may change Mm. you know and Mm. not be doing the same thing over and over and the second question Uh,
0: what would your um what would your future self thank you for uh like right now
1: to not be stuck in routine and take Mm. risks Mm. Mm. and also one thing would be looking after my health
0: fantastic because uh, if
1: i don't look out all of us if we don't look out if we can do everything correct and right but if we don't look out look after our health we're gonna pay for it and that's important
0: that is so beautiful i think um you know uh, speaking to you today um it, it really struck a connection um with what you do and what you're trying to do and this kind of the connection between that and your story is so, so strong. And I think for me, you know, what started out as a bit of a, you know, a way of trying to deal with the pain and the struggle you are going through has now become this amazing, amazing journey. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been incredibly inspiring for me to listen to you and understand you know, your 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 journey. And um I'm sure there's many people out there who are who have either been through what they've been what what you've been through or something similar or are going through something similar. And I think that it's really important for people to understand that, you know, um through the pain, through the hardship comes ease. Um, and that actually, you know what? In many ways it can actually be if you choose it to be to a certain degree, it can actually be a blessing in some in some hidden way, because it can actually help you uncover who you really are. Because for me, when I look at you at I see that you've discovered yourself in the process of going through all that hardship and pain. And um, on behalf of many people out there who have benefited from your amazing help and your advice and your recipes and your creativity and your ideas. Thank you so much. And we cannot wait to see what the future holds for you.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot for the kind words. And thanks for having me. Thanks.
0: (laughs) Thank you.